This episode is made possible by our friends at Bold, Shopify's largest app developer. They have some amazing apps that do cool stuff on your Shopify store, like allow you to sell subscriptions, memberships with exclusive site access, upsell offers, wholesale pricing, daily deals, loyalty points, product bundles, and so much more. And good news, they have an offer for our listeners to get any of their apps free for two months by going to e-commerce-bootcamp.com slash bold. Hello and welcome to this episode of the Unofficial Shopify Podcast. So one of the most misunderstood aspects of any online business is SEO. And I'm guessing that because I get, that's like the number one question topic I get. And that's probably for several reasons. We could do an episode just alone on that, but I won't. Instead, we're going to talk to a guest that I'm honored to have, who's really the authority in this area, um, for me anyway, followed him for years. Joining me today is, is Rand Fishkin, co-founder of Moz.com. Thank you for joining us, Rand. My pleasure, Kurt. Thanks for having me. So I'm going to open with, I was really torn about what a good opening question was, and this will make sense later. How is your mustache so fabulous? Uh, yeah, that's uh, genetics and wax. Okay. Those I'm, are the keys. <laughs> I was really banking on you saying wax. So, And actually, I saw an, uh, an interesting tidbit that was in the, Wiki, like, the Wikipedia article for Moz, of all things. Your facial hair is crowdsourced. <laughs> that was There was one New York Times article many years ago that cited a blog post I had written. Uh, it was kind of ridiculous but for some reason wikipedia decided that was more notable than many other far more notable things so yeah there you go. i thought that was like i followed you for years so i'm you know i'm familiar then i like i go like oh, i'll go check wikipedia and that's the thing that's in there is crowdsourced facial hair source new york times yeah i feel like this is this is the penalty that you get for uh using wikipedia right it's i mean it's a terrible collection of information generally but particularly so um, in these more niche areas where you can just get ridiculous stuff. Right. Yeah. So this, I'm glad you said that. I'm, you know, I'm glad I asked. I'm glad you said mustache wax because we see a lot of <laughs> popular, like a popular uh, niche, probably crowded at this point, is beard oil and mustache wax. This is like one of the most common things I hear about um, in probably like the last two years is I'm going to start my own line of beard oil or mustache awesome. wax. And I'm working on actually, in the, like the last month, I'm working on two stores that do beard oil or mustache wax. So my question to you is this, and this is, you know, to really help people um, who are starting at zero, don't want to use PPC. If you had a budget of exactly zero dollars and you were to mm -hmm. start over with an e-commerce business, so Moz disappears for some reason, and you're selling mustache wax, how would you start marketing that business? It's Gosh. really open-ended. Yeah. Um, I mean... I feel like I would actually go into a different business because I feel uh, my sense <laughs> is that uh, Eric Bandholz and the beard brand folks are doing such an exceptional job um, and following virtually every, you know, every idea that I, I have, I see them already doing it, right? So they put out some amazing video content. They have these spokespeople who have phenomenal uh, beards and mustaches and they feature them in their online magazine. Um, their email marketing list is uh, just terrific, right? The, the newsletter subscription. Eric himself does a great job on, on Twitter, on Facebook. He's even on Google Plus uh, posting stuff. So they, they really have done an exceptional job with their content marketing. I think the one, 
let's see, if I had to get creative with, um, with beard products, I feel like I would almost need to do something unique with the product itself and then try and market that separately. Um, and that could be in, you know, maybe it's the, uh, scent that's associated with the stuff or the brand, um, has some crossover and tie into charity. Uh, maybe it uh, has a particular sort of style catalog that goes with it. So that the store is less about just the facial hair alone and more about the complete style, everything from, you know, shoes and jeans and shirts to hats to accessories um, that go with kind of the modern bearded man. But and I think it, that's it's challenging to your point. Like I think, you know, and I actually, I interviewed um, Eric for, yeah. for this podcast. Um, and yeah, their focus was clearly like their success at focus was on content marketing and really understanding their customer, having like a really clear profile of it and holding up the mirror saying like, okay, this is what you're going through, or this is what you're trying, you know, to, you want to be a better version of yourself and holding up that mirror and then giving people, you know, free content great well-produced content that enabled that um i think is a lot of and being in the right place at the right time probably helped too um but yeah yeah absolutely. i mean he said all of that um you brought up an interesting point you know at what point does an industry like if you're getting into an industry i see you know sometimes if someone else is doing it that's a good thing because it tell, it validates it it says like okay if someone else is doing it and we perceive them as winning at it then, you know, that validates the niche it works. But at what point is it oversaturated and I should do something else, you know, and find my own niche or unique positioning or competitive advantage? Yeah, I think that this this is where it comes down to finding the intersection of a niche that is desired, right, that has uh, real customer demand, people want those products, overlapping with your personal ability to create something of unique value. And this is where the challenge, you know, this is where the beard brand example is sort of interesting when you ask me the question about what I would do in that same space. It's because my strengths lie in exactly the same spot that Ericsson beard brands do. And so I would rather apply, you know, my unique elements, um, my skills, which are really in uh, content creation and visuals and video and you know, helping people through content, I think is, is one of my strengths. I would rather apply that in a space where it had not already been filled by multiple others. Yeah, it definitely, you know, that's a good point. I think taking yeah, it's less about like the saturation alone and more like the combination of, Hey, there's a lot of players in this market and some of them are already doing the thing that I'm really good at. Actually. Yeah. I've never looked at it that way. And that's a great, great idea. Great point of looking at it. Like, I mean, using my, myself as an example, you know, getting into, um, so, you know, essentially it's, it's consulting, it's professional services, which is a little different, but we approached it from a productized model where we're saying, okay, everything is fixed price, fixed scope. And we published all the prices and no one else is doing that, you know, within, within yeah. Shopify, you know, and no one really is creating content at the level we are, which is like a weekly podcast. That's not a hard thing to do. Talking to you, reaching out to you, not a hard thing to do, but you know, my, uh, my peers weren't doing it. So like just by virtue of having that head start, was I the first Shopify guy? Absolutely not. But I was the first one doing, you know, this level of content creation and combining it with productized consulting. So yeah, that's a yep. really good, amazing perspective. I'd never thought about it that way. 
Yeah, I think this is something that Moz did too, right? So in our early days, there were other people doing uh, SEO blogging, but only a few who were also consultants uh, and only and very, very few who were doing it consistently, uh, even fewer who were doing it in combination with uh, things like events. And a lot of the people who were doing it were, what's the right word, sort of trying to keep the juiciest information secret um, and so Moz's you know big mission back in those early days when I when I started the blog was let's make all of this SEO stuff transparent I think um, transparency I think is that key word because yeah, if you're absolutely. transparent like just even as a branding exercise it makes you authentic and often like the the oddball habit I've developed especially just like with my email and content and talking to people is um, I've been accused of oversharing like I will just I, I've I have over time become an open book because it lends, like I'm rewarded for it. It lends authenticity to, you know, me as a brand, me as a marketer. Like I'm not a salesperson if I'm telling you like everything about my life. Yeah. And, and just kind of weaving that in there has been fantastic. Yeah, we're, we're exactly the, the, the same way. I think, look, that's not the only strength that a business or an individual could have. Your job as a business owner, I think, is to recognize through self-awareness, right, self-transparency, recognize the strengths and weaknesses that you have and create a business that leverages your strengths and that minimizes your weaknesses. Um, and then find business partners and employees who back up those weaknesses and help you double down on those strengths. You know, I had wanted to talk to you about basic SEO stuff, and this is so much more interesting. <laughs> the, <laughs> well, we um, can definitely talk SEO too. That's uh, that it also matters. Yeah, well, it's just such a common question, but um, that I get, especially for early store owners. But like to your point, you know, it took me five years to realize, hey, I, you know, when you own the business, when you're the business owner, you can build a business for the life you want. Like if you, you know, do what speaks to your strengths. Stop making yourself do stuff you hate. Yeah. Um, you know, and work around that. And part of that, you're right, is having, is being mindful, having, um, being very self-aware and having this mindfulness. Um, and that, you know, it really took me probably like four or five years to figure out and just tremendous transformation once I, once I made that, that realization. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I think that one of the things that I realized a little too late in my case, uh, is that I love small businesses and small companies, um, and small organizations, right? So, you get to around 65, 70 people, and I start feeling very, very uncomfortable um, in a lot of ways. And I really don't enjoy a lot of the uh, management challenges and the processes that need to be created um, and the you know, constant monitoring for and controlling of politics internally. That kind of stuff is not my passion, uh, and it's not, it's not something that, that gives me energy. It really you know, sucks my will to want to work hard out. Um, but, you know, I raised venture capital. And so <laughs> when you do that, you you have a requirement to get big. So, you know, today at Moz is uh, 200 people. And um, I turned the CEO reins over a couple of years ago to my longtime chief operating officer, Sarah, who is totally comfortable in a large scale environment and is happy to deal with the kinds of management and process and politics challenges that a large organization demands. Um, and today I do individual contributor style work, right? I do a lot of marketing work. I create a lot of content. I speak at a lot of events. I, you know, I'm, I'm the product owner for one of our uh, product groups here, work with a lot of engineers. Um, 
you know, design data models, that kind of stuff. It, that's work that I enjoy. And yeah, so, seeing, so yeah, so you, you engineered and built that business around the stuff you love to do. And it's worked out, you know, f- uh, fabulously well for you. And going, you know, back to your point to uh, at least, you know, from the outside looking in, it seems that way. Um, to your point yeah. about uh, building a business to the for the life you want, like, and having that authenticity and transparency, like nothing you said comes as a surprise to me because of, you know, I've been reading your newsletter, reading your blog posts and seeing that stuff. Yeah. Which then, yeah, and you I know, mean, I would say that, I would say that one of the, um, let's see, we, I engineered a business that required a very different skill set than what I could provide as the leader. Um, and therefore had to step out of that role. And that's not, you know, that's not something I, I feel particularly awesome about. Um, I mean, I'm glad that I did it, but, um, you know, I hope that I hope that someday in the far future I can build another company that's uh, the kind of thing that um, that makes me the happiest, right? And that, that, I think uh, that's that should be the the end goal of any business owner. I think, like as entrepreneurs starting out, it's always like, oh, we're gonna quit our jobs and make a ton of money, and it's like, no, yeah. you quickly like once you get to that point where you're like, I'm comfortable, then you start realizing, all right, what do I, what can I do? you know, your priorities change. It's less about money and more about like, how do I remove stress from my life? And then how do I live a more fulfilled life? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, there was this, there was this uh, Seattle entrepreneur who was looking into, um, it, it was the guy, Dan, something from Gravity Payments. He was on a bunch of shows recently. Um, you know, there's a big controversy because he raised the um, uh, salaries of all his employees, I think, to a minimum of seventy-five dollars or $80,000, which was basically like the, the number that he had calculated as um, below that number, money really stresses you out. And um, above that number, like even nicer things are available, but that's sort of a, a bar for general personal happiness. And so uh, he made that the, the minimum salary that you could have at the company. And I think that, I think that that's true when you think about um, business owners as well, right? When we get to a certain, once we get to a certain point, it it's not that money doesn't matter anymore. It's it's still nice to have, and it's you know a worthy pursuit to to go after growth. And um, you know, growth doesn't just provide you with more money. It also provide. It also means that whatever you're doing in the world is having a bigger impact and influencing more people. And you know, maybe maybe you're selling more of your art. Um, maybe you are uh, getting your brand better known. Um, you know, just having that impact and that can be powerful too. But I, I think you, you do start to optimize for different things than raw finances. Um, and that's a good thing. I think that, you know, this idea of um, shareholder value being the only thing that matters uh, at, on Wall Street hurts a lot of companies, a tremendous number of public companies, and, um, and actually isn't even how it was supposed to be. So, yeah, this is this is something a business owner's got to think about. Yeah, it's what you're right. It and it's one of those things you don't think about right away. It's one of you have to experience it. You have to. It's easy to talk about it like looking backwards. Going forwards, it seems so like far fetched and strange. It's one of those things you have to experience. But all right, I I 100 percent enjoyed your thoughts on that. However, I did I crowdsourced. I asked people, you know, what are some common SEO questions you have? And these are total softballs for you. Um, so I've got three, my three most commonly asked, uh, that, you know, asked of me SEO questions. You ready? Okay. It's a lightning round. 
How important is on-site SEO versus backlinks? And this one, I don't even know the answer. Um, both matter quite a bit, but I am going to say that for you can't do one or the other. You have to do both, um, and that might be a frustrating answer, but but there it is. If if I were going to say what order I would do it in, I would absolutely worry about on-page before I'd ever worry about links. But but with the caveat that before I created any kind of content, before uh, and and that content could include my products and my product pages and my website design and all that kind of stuff, I would be thinking about having a great answer to this question. <laughs> and that is, who will help amplify this and why? And that's a different question than how am I going to get links to it, but it is related, right? So if I'm thinking about, hey, how do I want to design my site? Well, I want it to be easy to use and I want it to be simple, but you know what? I kind of also want to be in all those Shopify design galleries. I kind of also want to be on those lists of the most inspiring uh, designs in the e-commerce world. I kind of also want to get into all the web design inspiration portals. So maybe I should pay a little more and get a designer who will, you know, take me to that level along with providing a great experience um, and simple navigation and make the site very user friendly and those kinds of things, because that will mean that I get more amplification out of the, the content and the, and the quality of design that I provide. And then when I'm thinking about my product pages, I might think broader than just how do I create a page that will help me sell this, but hey, what would be a page that would help sell this, but that people would also want to actually share? What do I need to do? Do I need you know, big high-res visual images? Do I want to provide uh, some creative backgrounds? Do I need to provide maybe some data from uh, users about it or some reviews? Uh, maybe I want to include some sort of interactive element. What, what can I put in there that's going to make people go, man, that is a really cool t-shirt, uh, uh, painting, um, you know, can of beard oil, whatever it is, and, and then want to share it beyond the site itself. So these are, you know, these are sort of intricately tied. As far as SEO goes, the, one of the big things that um, is relatively new in the last few years in SEO that, that folks may not be aware of is links still matter and they move the needle, um, but query success metrics matter a tremendous amount to the search engines. And what I mean by that is, Let's say uh, 500 people today search for um, uh, beard oil in Google. And I'll, I'll do that search real quick. Let's see who's in there. Beard oil. Okay. So beard brand is number one. Good for them. Uh, no surprise. Okay. So let's imagine this hopefully will not happen. I would feel terrible if this happened. But let's imagine that 500 people search for beard oil. They click on beardbrand.com, right? They click on that page. And then they surf it for about five or 10 seconds and they click the back button and then they scroll down and click on, uh, let's see, maybe the beardedbastard.com instead, who's ranking number four, or number five here. Uh, and then they end up buying from the bearded bastard. Google is actually going to see that path, right? Because they own Chrome and they own uh, Android and uh, they, they have tons in, of user and usage data, right? So they're going to see that along with, they can obviously see the search results that someone bounced back to the search and clicked on another result. And they're going to go, you know what? Maybe it's the case that that guy who's ranking number one doesn't deserve to be there because people don't seem to be having success on that page 
we should reward this other page that's earning all the clicks and all the uh, uh, traffic and conversions. So this is something to watch for, right? It's not just ranking alone that matters. It's serving visitors well once you rank. Interesting. And that's, uh, that's something that is, it's really less about links and more about not just on-page optimization, but user experience on the page. You know, I think the the easy way to look at it that I've been telling clients when they ask is Google wants the same thing that their users do, and that's relevancy. Like, if I make a search, I want a relevant answer to it. Um, well, but relevancy is only one part of it. Relevant is basically like, yes, this site does offer beard oil. But if the price is too high or the shipping's not free or the checkout process is too convoluted or they're out of the brand, the, the oil smell that I want, or this doesn't sound as compelling as I hoped it would, or I don't see this critical information that I need to order it, like, hey, is the what's the size of the bottle? doesn't tell me how many ounces it is, and I need to travel with this bottle of beer oil, so it needs to be less than three ounces, so it makes it through TSA, and all you say is small size, so I can't get the information I need. I'm going to some other site. So it, it's not just that. It's it's not just relevancy. It's it's that whole user success, user experience. So would you agree their, their biggest enemy isn't other competitors? It's the back button. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The back button is your biggest enemy period, right? Because the back button doesn't just matter for Google. The back button matters for any source of traffic you might get. The back button is um, <laughs> is what you're fighting against when you create a website. Yeah, that, there was so much more in that answer than I could have expected. So, you know, along those lines, how important is site performance? You know, how how long a page takes to load? Yeah, that certainly goes into the same kinds of elements, uh, particularly important for mobile because mobile users, even though their connections are often slower, you know, 3G and 2G when, you're, when your 4G isn't really working sometimes, um, or even when you are on 4G and your network is being rate limited or being overwhelmed by traffic, um, that those page load times matter quite a bit. And so, you know, caching and... Um, things that you can do to optimize site speed can be very helpful. Um, you know, that, that being said, I think that once you get to a certain point, you know, um, additional improvements aren't necessarily going to move the needle tremendously. And I would think a little bit more about um, the content itself and who's going to amplify it and why uh, and how you're going to earn coverage and links and attention and branding. Um, so I, I have seen people go overboard with the speed thing. Okay. Good. Yeah. That's, I think where like, it's important to a point Yeah, um, is what I'm hearing. So another a common question, like people get really worried when they get um, duplicate content warnings. They're very scared of duplicate content penalties. Is it, does it matter? How much does it matter? And how should they deal with it? Uh, so the interesting thing about duplicate content is very, very rarely is it actually a penalty. Um, the only time you're going to see duplicate content penalties is when, you know, you're copying other sites wholesale or, uh, you know, you have 20 original pages of content on your site, but you have 2,000 pages that are just minor, uh, you know, slight variations of those pages and it appears you're trying to manipulate Google. Far more common when it comes to duplicate content is Google's just filtering those out. Um, 
or, or and or you're not getting credit for the uh, links and ranking signals that point to all the duplicate versions of the page. And that can be a real pain. So it's, it's more like you're losing out on opportunity than you're actually getting a penalty. Okay. So, you know, my advice, generally speaking, is um, I, I would recommend using Google's Search Console, which can show you uh, some crawl issues. There's also some really good uh, crawl tools out there. You know, we, uh, we're big fans of, of Screaming Frog, of OnPage.org, and uh, Moz has its own, you know, crawler, weekly crawler that crawls your site and shows you uh, errors and warnings and issues like duplicate content. And so you might consider using one of those to sort of monitor uh, how your crawl's going and whether you have lots of duplicate content and then, you know, use something simple like the rel canonical tag to tell Google, hey, all 50 versions of this one product page are actually the same page and this is the one you should show. And that's really like the most common cause of it, um, especially in within Shopify. Totally. It's just you need a more elaborate and really, like it's not tough to do, you know, if you're versed in liquid, but for the for the layperson it is. But really it's just, you know, you have products that are too similar that are like very you know, you've got a backpack in five different colors as five separate products and that shows up as duplicate. And that we right. fix that stuff with canonical tags. Yep. So all right, yep. last last um audience question is how important is user generated content like reviews for an e commerce store? And does having them display in the search results via rich snippets have a positive effect on click through rate? Um, so on how important, I think the answer is it depends, uh, on does, do rich snippets like the star ratings have a positive imp impact on click-through rate? The answer is yes, if the rating is high and no, if the rating is low. So if you see, you know, in the search results, you see something that's two and a half stars or three stars versus five, uh, right. or right. four and a half. Uh, four and a half, four and a half, and four. We have heard anecdotally are actually do better than five stars. I think because people don't believe five star ratings. So uh, yeah, four and four and a half seems authentic. Five stars is like, well, well who are you yep. trying to fool, buddy? <laughs> exactly, exactly. Uh, and so um, the and that is actually weirdly true of Yelp as well. So when people looked at uh, reviews on Yelp or on TripAdvisor, the ones that were you know, five stars or five thumbs up or whatever it is, five little circle thingies that the TripAdvisor uses, uh, those tended not to be as convincing to people uh, in terms of booking a restaurant recommend reservation or booking a hotel as ones that were, you know, four or four and a half. So weirdly enough, <coughs> it can help to have that. It's, so you, you need to have, it's beneficial to have that one crank in there who leaves the one star review when everyone else is five star. I think I think it's better to have the person who leaves, you know, a few people who are leaving four star reviews that are like, here's all the excellent things. Here are the one things that I could, you know, um, pick out that maybe could still be improved, but I would still recommend this overall, right? And those are the those are the types of reviews. Those balanced types of reviews are the ones that we uh, tend to trust. Right. Oh, you're right. Yeah, because if it's just like all these gushing reviews, then suddenly my you know my BS flag goes off. Yeah. I'm yeah. like, wait, did they pay for this? Like, what's going on here? Yeah, who's behind this? Exactly. <laughs> so what's the one piece of e-commerce SEO misinformation out there that you'd like to set the record straight on? Um, gosh, there are a few, but I think that um, one, of the, one of the myths that I've heard recently come up is that 
you know, Google is getting way smarter around uh, keywords. And so we don't have to worry as much about keyword research and keyword targeting. Um, you know, I've heard this in other realms as well, but in e-commerce in particular. And unfortunately, that's not actually true, right? If, if someone is searching for beard oil, you don't want to call it, um, you know, the manly facial rub. Right. That Maybe that's the name of your individual product, but still make sure that the page title and the product name and all that include the words beard oil because that is what you're selling and that's what people are searching for. And it's going to be really hard uh, to rank. It's going to be really hard to be relevant and to look relevant when people are scanning those title elements in the search results um, and looking at you know product search and that kind of stuff. It, that's tough. So I, I would I would urge folks continue to do your keyword research, understand what your audience is searching for and how they are searching for it, the words and phrases that they're actually using, and then try and literally match those uh, well. You know, it's not it's not the case that you can rely on Google to just say, hey, they'll figure out that my you know uh, facial rub is actually a beard oil. You know, I have confidence in Google's topic modeling to be able to do that. Oh. That they're not. It's it's not how it works. Um, and human beings aren't going to interpret it that way either. So I, I love creativity. I think that product naming conventions can get creative and can build remarkable brands that way. But uh, if you are doing SEO and you care deeply about your product search SEO, you, you've got to be doing your keyword research and targeting. I think you. Uh, yeah, I think it comes down to clarity. Um, yeah. And you know, we've done. We've achieved this through. Um, surveys where we'll we'll do product surveys um, on a you know we send out an email list and then we look for like okay what are the common phrases how do people describe it how do they describe themselves and then rework the messaging around that and that has a positive effect on both you know those the click through rates and SEO and conversion rates so it's a very positive thing all around to do um, and then the other thing you know I would say along with the survey stuff I think it's great to actually use some keyword research tools um, Google AdWords keyword tool is free. Uh, a lot of people like KeywordTool.io or uh, SEMrush. Um, I've been working with a product team here at Moz, and we're going to be launching a keyword research tool in a couple months. So there, there's some good stuff out there. Cool. So we're coming to the end of our time together. Um, do you have any closing thoughts? You know, what, like what's one thing you wish every Shopify store owner would do? <laughs> um, Beyond sign up for Moz.com. No, <laughs> that is that is definitely not required. I I, I think. Um, the way that you position your business is, I think, one of the biggest things that, that I would think about. Um, I, I see a ton of e-commerce shop owners who you know, are competing in tough results and who are uh, trying to rank against lots of other you know, very similar businesses. And I think the, one of the biggest challenges, it seems to me, is standing out from the crowd. Um, and, and having that uniqueness element. And I think that can be, that can be something that starts with identifying your passions and strengths, but then goes to a, Hey, what's our, um, it's more than just our angle on this. It's almost a, what do we believe and why, and how is that different from what everyone else in this space, uh, believes and why is it, why is it the case that, um, the unique perspective that we hold uh, stands out. And then how can we translate that into everything that we do, into the design of our site, into our products, into our branding, our marketing, our content, 
uh, our messages, our titles, our visuals. When you see folks do well with that, uh, the results are remarkable. And those people do stand out from the crowd. And I think, I think spending some time thinking about that is, is something I'd urge every Shopify owner to do. I, I love that answer. I absolutely agree. I think positioning um, ends up being the cornerstone of your marketing. Like if you can nail that, your positioning, if you can know yeah. stone cold, you know, a positioning statement, essentially becomes your elevator pitch, but it's like the cornerstone of all your marketing efforts because it clarifies what you do, who you do it for and why. Um, and it can really, you know, despite being as simple as like write two sentences about what you do and why, it's so difficult. It's one of the hardest things yeah, I've yeah. seen. Yeah, I mean, I think for, for Moz, this was something that took us years to find, even though it was always there, right? It was search engines and many people in the SEO world keep information about how search engines work secret. Moz's job is to make it transparent and accessible to everyone. Okay, there you go. That's, that's, that's how fun. you help people, right? That transparency, that authenticity, <laughs> right? That's what we're trying to do. Um, and you can, I think you can feel that pretty clearly across the, the brand. But then if you can identify that, right, what is that in, what is that in beard oil? Is it 99% um, of beard oils are, uh, you know, cheap products that um, don't have the intended effect and don't create the full lush beard look that men are really looking for because they use these ingredients. We're not going to do that. We're going to pay more for our ingredients. We're going to charge a little bit more, but you're going to get a premium product. And it's like, oh, all right, cool. Yeah, I'm willing to pay five extra bucks for that bottle. Just surely is a is an academic exercise. If I were to sell beard oil, my angle would be that it I would make it for people who want who need more affection. You're getting beard oil to make yourself kissably soft. That's how I would approach it. Um, so this has been phenomenal. It really was my honor and pleasure uh, to have you. Where can people go to learn more about you? Uh, so I, I blog regularly on moz.com on our, on our blog there and do my whiteboard Fridays. And I'm also very active on Twitter and I'm happy to answer questions there at Randfish. Wonderful. Uh, and anything you'd like to plug or promote while we're here? Uh, I'll wait, maybe in a couple months when I uh, launch that Keyword Explorer product, uh, you know, folks can check that out. Cool. Yeah, let me know. We'll, we'll either, we can have you back or include it as a, a link um, in the show notes for this one. So, I very much appreciate it. Thanks, Kurt. To our listeners, however this audio made it into your ears, you could find out more about it at unofficialshopfypodcast.com. And if you'd like to be notified whenever a new episode goes live, you could sign up for my newsletter at kurtelster.com, and I'll shoot you an email whenever we post a new episode. Thanks, everybody, and we'll be back next week. Our program was produced today by Paul Rita. The unofficial Shopify podcast is distributed by EtherCycle LLC. We'll be back next week with more value bombs for Shopify store owners. If you're looking for more high quality and actionable advice on learning the business of e-commerce, join thousands of other Shopify store owners on our totally free newsletter at eCommerce Bootcamp. That's eCommerce-Bootcamp.com.